Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. Is the UK the sick man of Europe? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is John Mobby, co-head of Absolute and Total Return Credit at Pick Day Asset Management. Hi, John. It's great to see you again. Hey, Maggie. Great for great to see you again, and, and thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're thinking, I think this guy looks familiar, John, you may recognize him from the first Academy sessions we did with Roger Hurst. So not only is he a killer investment manager at Pig Day, he's also a Real Vision member, which is a testament to just how awesome our community is. So we're thrilled to have you here today, John. And I tell you, it's a perfect day because we got that, wow, Bank of England surprise uh, 50 basis point rate hike. The market really did not seem like it was expecting that at all. What, what's your take on that decision? I think I, like, I think the UK has has got a, a number of challenges. Um, and for me, uh, I think the UK could be the canary for the global economy in that it has a much more sensitive mortgage market, is a much more sensitive uh, just general credit market, um, and, and by that I mean credit cards rather than rather than my area of expertise. Um, for me, the Bank of England told everybody in the UK two years ago that rates weren't going up until 2025, and then they raised them at the fastest pace mm. in pretty much two generations. So, <clears throat> if you think about that, everybody refinanced. Everybody refinanced um, on a two-year fixed, me included, um, whether it was mortgages or whether it was car refinancing. And that has left everybody in a fairly big hole because mm. they're now facing, and I, you know, I, I, I was saying earlier um, to, 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 to some clients that if you think about it in the context of not just where, where, where are rates, but what it costs somebody in the UK. Mm. Um, so just coming at it from a common sense perspective, um, you have gone from a average mortgage costing X to X plus 750 pounds a month. And that's it, huge. It's huge. It's huge. And if you think about what the average salary is, right, like after tax, it becomes unaffordable. And unfortunately, I think the government are, are slightly out of touch in the UK, but that's why I think that actually the UK is the, it could be the canary for the global economy. 
Yeah. So if so, if I'm understanding that right, and I think this is a very important point you just made, because there'll be a lot of folks who are watching this who sit in the U.S. and we've discussed this at length. We're operating on a system. It wasn't so much this way back in 08, 09, yeah. 0, 07, 08, 09, but we're majority are now on fixed rate, 30 year fixed rate. Yeah. Very different situation in the UK. So when you say it's a canary in the coal mine, are, are, is it that the UK is just seeing the impact of that massive increase in rates much more in real time than the rest of us? So we're going to see the damage of it, that it inflicts in a more condensed way. Is that why you think it's in the canary in the coal mine? Explain yeah. that to me. Well, well, no, well, 100%, right? So I, I I mean, I think that, okay, so, so, so the US is a much slower burn, mm. right? But you also have, I guess in the US, an election cycle coming up next year, right? As well, mm -hmm. um, and I think all these, all the central banks, you know, they all talk to each other. They're all coordinated. Um, so the Bank of England, you know, raised rates. The Fed raised rates. What I think you are actually going to see in the next six to let's say twelve months is a huge pivot because economies cannot, they just cannot afford this. It, I, 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 I say to clients, it's, it's kind of the dirty little secret between Jay Powell and Janet Yellen, right? So they say 2% inflation is their target, but 2% inflation doesn't get them out of the hole that they are in with the debt. Mm. They need three and a half to four percent. If you look at the impact of three and a half to four percent versus two percent over a decade or a decade and a half, it's ginormous in terms of what it does with the debt loads. So the government debt loads. So this is that big debt bubble that yeah, yeah. that we have a lot of discussions about on Real Vision. Yeah, hundred percent. So in terms of what are central banks really afraid of? So, okay, we've had a we've had a rate hike in the UK today, but what are central banks really afraid of? Are they afraid of inflation running at three and a half percent, or are they afraid of inflation below two? I'm going to tell you that they're more afraid of inflation below two than they are of inflation at three and a half to four. Really. Yeah, 100%. Because what they did over COVID was effectively increase the balance sheets. They did MMT, right? It's a, I mean, they didn't say they did MMT, but they did MMT. Um, and the, the debt balances are now so high that if you just do the math on inflation at three and a half to four versus inflation at sub two, nothing, nothing functions sub two. Mm. Whereas three and a half to four, they deflate all that debt over the next decade. So why? So. So let's 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 take the UK since this is the lead car, perhaps yeah. in the worst way possible for the UK. By the way, this is not <laughs> a good thing to be the lead car. So, uh, why is inflation? So that so they do this surprise me. First of all, why did they do it when they just said they weren't going to? What do you think they saw that prompted this surprise move? 
central banks usually telegraph this stuff. They usually don't want to, at least in this day and age, totally shock markets. And they seem to have done a pretty good job of doing that. Why do you think there was such a rapid change from their rhetoric to their action? I think part of it is politically motivated, right? So I think the whole like basis of central banks being independent from the political cycle is is just not is is wrong. So you look at the Fed, um, or you look at the Bank of England, or any of the other central banks. If you have a political cycle coming up, which we do in the U.S. in 2024. They generally do not move monetary policy in the three to six months before the political cycle happens. Why do they not do that? Because they don't want to be seen to be tampering with that political cycle. Um, for, 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 for me, we in, 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 the, in the UK, we have had so much political volatility um, I, I, I don't. <laughs> that's putting. That's almost putting it lightly. If we all remember back, <laughs> I, I don't think the Bank of England know ultimately what to do at the moment, because right. they don't know where the political regime is going to sit. Right. But look, if you if you, if you if you think about where 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 we are at the moment, you've got a prime minister that seems to be out of touch. With the electorate, um, you have well, we've had three prime ministers in eighteen months. Um, you have a um, governor of the Bank of England that again doesn't really seem to understand where the general, con- you know, where the general consumer is in terms yeah. in, in terms of cost pressure. So let's uh, let's talk on let's let's talk about that. That this is, I think, very interesting. So we um David uh on on uh the chat is saying uh, you know, we know that this mortgage hit has been, you know, this 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 uh increased payments everyone's facing, as you outlined. We know that, right? That is just incredibly painful for anyone who yeah. hears that. But he's saying at the same time, the labor market is incredibly tight in the UK as it is elsewhere. Hiring is incredibly difficult still anecdotally. We've been expecting a recession for over a year due to rate rises, but it has yet to hit. Is there a labor issue for the Bank of England? Because the UK's inflation seems to be so stubbornly high, so much more so than, say, in Europe and the US, where it's still elevated, but it's coming down. What's different that's happening in the UK? Is there a labor component here? No, it's net zero. Mm-hmm. And I love, I love, I love, I am, I am the biggest environmentalist on the planet. Um, I will, you know, do everything I can to protect our planet. But net zero in the UK, the amount of focus that has gone into net zero given that we are effectively energy independent, it's insanity in that there are- So you think that's driving inflation? Oh yeah, 100%. So even though it's X energy and food, core is still high too though, right? Look, you look at what's happened to natural gas prices. You look at what's happened to oil prices. You look at what's happened to generic input um, energy prices. 
in the last 12 months. Um, and then you look at electricity prices, input prices for businesses in the UK. Um, they haven't come down. Mm. And they haven't come down because we're not focusing on the right things in the UK, I think. And that. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. So this is interesting that you say this, John. That's what differentiates, I think, the UK from the rest of the world. And that's, that's the one differentiating point. That's so interesting. And I'm going to thread this together because you mentioned we're going to keep coming back to this theme as the UK potentially as the canary in the coal mine. We're going to come back to this theme. And again, like no one's commenting on whether, you know, these aren't political conversations about how you feel about net zero or ESG or anything else. Just like with, if, if you remember, we played that clip from you from the real estate, okay. uh, commercial real estate interview that Ash had yesterday. And it was one of the tr- the trifecta of headwinds that the professor saw affecting commercial real estate. And one of them was climate mitigation, just the, yep. the, the increased cost of that. So it's not whether anybody supports it or not. This is just a comment on plugging that in to the scenario here and that being a cost that's keeping, in John's point, that he's making inflation high in, yep. in the issue for the professor feeding into... Um, real estate costs that are that are affecting the valuations of buildings, their ability to sort of, you know, their profit margins being squeezed. So that's that's really interesting if that's the case. So let's let's pause this conversation for one second because all of this came up again on the flag, uh, on the radar, I should say, flagging it in a conversation that Raul and Julian had um, as part of their macro insider conversations. So for those of you who aren't familiar, Raul and Julian Brigden have this um, once a month where they get together and really go uh, go after the sort of global macro picture, talk about their framework. In a lot of cases, there are differences. And the issue of the UK came up for them as well. Let's listen to a snippet of that. More in line with Julian's thoughts, and we don't talk about this one enough, is the UK. Mm. That's a real structural mess. Because of Brexit, they've got structural inflation that they can't really get rid of yet. Europe inflation is dissipating super fast. The UK can't get rid of it. Bond yields are back at the highs. Yeah, They already blew up the pension system once. I don't know what the UK does here. Because that is, you know, there's also you know, UK housing. People are starting to get worried about that. And I saw somebody posting- Rightly, I think rightly, mate, right? And I, somebody posted something on Twitter that I thought was really interesting. They're like, the next stimulus out of the UK is going to be a um, a um, a kind of forgiveness of mortgage payments. 
So as I mentioned, Macro Insider Talks is a monthly conversation. Um, it's always great value, but I understand this month's was particularly feisty. If you would like to listen to the whole one or upgrade uh, to get that because it's pro, just scan the QR code and that will lead you down the path on how to do that. Um, so John, a couple of things to unpack there. We've already talked about a little bit of it, but um, Raul bringing up the interesting point, you were just talking about you know, the, the political problems this brings up. Do you think that pain on the consumer is going to result in some kind of mortgage relief program? I, I guess the question before that is, is this a political problem for the Sunak government? Could this cost him, uh, his, the prime minister, the, the leadership? And uh, does that do they do something like mortgage relief in order to offset some of the pain, especially yeah. to those who are feeling it at the bottom of the income scales? So I don't, I, I, I mean, on... I don't really like to comment on on, on politics. Um, I, I think the Sunak government, though, is under incredible pressure. Right. Uh, so I think mortgage interest re relief is probably on his register. Um, whether it actually gets enacted or not, who knows? Well, there's uh, a problem, isn't it? Because then... If if the Bank of England is raising rates and then you come in with this is the problem again that many central banks are facing. If if you're trying to if you're trying <laughs> to get a handle on inflation, but the measures you take to do that are killing consumers and you come in with fiscal aid for them, it's gonna only make the inflation problem worse. I mean, it is the rock and the hard place that central banks find themselves in, right? Yeah, uh, one one hundred percent. And I, I mean, I, I have been saying to clients consistently for the last year. I would not want to be a central banker here. They are, uh, they literally are in a no-win situation because they're, they're caught between the political cycle, um, inflation, and maybe what's right for them to do, mm. um, ultimately for, for, for the average person on the street. And mm. the average person on the street, you know, everybody talks about excess savings and how much excess savings are, you know, sort of pre-COVID or post, sorry, post-COVID, um, uh, like sort of shielding the consumer. And I'm like, but where, where are those excess savings? Where are they? Because yeah. I don't see them with the average person. They're, yeah. in, they're, they're in the top quintile, right? Yeah. Like everybody that could save, saved and everybody that had to spend spent and so the marginal propensity of that um excess savings that all the economists talk about to actually be spent is 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 is, is near zero yeah Yes, yeah, zero. I think anecdotally, we so feel it for different reasons in different places. You've got the mortgage reset issue hitting much sooner for everyone in the UK here. I feel like health, that just the health inflation never stops. So people aren't protected from health care. They have to get it through their employer. Now lots of people are remote and contracting gigs. Yeah. So you, you know, switch it up. But you feel that most people are really stretched. Like it does not feel like everyone's sitting on this mountain of cash. Maggie, you, you do you look at anything for the middle classes at the moment, right? Education through the roof, yeah. healthcare 
through the roof. I mean, I know you, you have kids, right? Yes. And they're soon to be going to college. So it's like, shoot me through the heart with that comment with education. But. Education, healthcare, food, yeah, energy, right? Like car financing, everything like is like up here for the, the, the people that actually are meant to murder the economy, right? Yes. Yeah. The engine of the economy, the consumer, by the way, <laughs> the, our great got- community has been helping me because I also had to buy a car. So I'm like smack in the, <laughs> in the middle of everything because I have a new driver that you're talking yeah, about. We are, so we are, <laughs> we, are, we are a credit-based economy globally. Yeah. And that economy relies on like the credit impulse. And mm-hmm. at the moment, I think the credit impulse has disappeared. And well, that's important coming from somebody who manages credit. So, so that, that to me is, is everyone's talking about how strong the economy is. When's the recession? Where's the recession? Is it coming? You say the credit impulse looks weak. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think it's incredibly weak and look, I'm, I, I will tell you now, I am the most bearish person on the planet, on the economy. Right. I, I, just, I, I just, I just, I just, I just see like a car crash coming with the economy, but actually with credit markets for, for once in my 23 years, I actually see value across the board in credit and fixed income. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. This is where, all right, let's get, let's dive. So we set the, we set the stage. Let's dive into your area of expertise in the market. So that's interesting because that sounds kind of diametrically opposed to somebody who thinks there's a crash coming or there's some real, real pain ahead. So first of all, UK, in that clip we heard from uh, Raul, we heard him say they blew up the UK pension system once. So uh, is there a risk that UK bond yields go back to those highs and threaten the UK pension system once again? I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm looking at my Bloomberg. <laughs> you got them up on your screen. Yeah, I, I think that's... Um, do you think that the, we have a question that said, do you think the UK two-year gill can hit 6% in the second half of 2023? There is no reason why not in this environment. Um, but that said, and I will, again, I'll come back to credit and fixed income, the break evens and by break evens, I mean, how much, you know, how much volatility can you actually stomach? Can you, before you actually start losing money, Mm -hmm. right? The break evens in credit and fixed income at the moment are better than I have seen them in 23 years. So uh, I will be all my yields, the carry, 
you know, over over a over a six to eighteen month time horizon, you are being paid for the volatility. So if you assume that investment grade credit at the moment, even if you look at the worst downside, is a ten to fifteen volatility asset class, you're being compensated for it. Hmm. Um, and that is the first time since I started my career in two thousand that you have actually been compensated for it. I will tell you there are people that I work with and that I that that I, I, I try and sort of I, I, I've tried to kind of elucidate this this concept to where you know you try and talk to them about break even and they're like well you're not you know, look, you're not getting paid. And I'm like, well, but you haven't added the carry back. And as soon as you add six to seven to eight percent carry back to this asset class, you're getting bond like risk for equity like forward looking returns. And I think that's really, really important to understand. Because at the moment in equities, you're getting ginormous potential forward looking volatility. For I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the forward-looking return profile is, but in credit and fixed income, you are getting bond-like risk for forward-looking equity-like returns. So what do you I, think? I, 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 I'm bearish, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> so what do you think is you 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 think this is a point that's lost on a lot of people? Yeah, no, nobody, nobody seems to, to to grasp that. Look, we've all got used in the last fifteen years to zero carry, right? Zero rates, negative rates, all you know, sort of all these sort of weird monetary policy uh, <clears throat> tools, and everybody's forgot about this concept of where's the carry. And if you remember a year and a half ago, two years ago, everybody was talking about crypto, right? Mm. And how crypto carried 8% and how that made it a great asset class. And I'm, I'm not saying crypto is not a great asset class. I'm just saying that's what everybody was talking about. Well, guess what? Like investment grade credit in a lot of areas now is carrying 6 to 8% returns. And one of the things I I would say is, you know, as a, 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 a as a fund, we have been buying really really high quality investment grade companies, and kind of wanting them to default because we've been buying them in the forties and fifties in terms of the cash price. And the the recovery is like ninety to hundred. So, like for the first time ever in my career, like I've been buying investment grade, high triple B single A bonds, and going, well, I really want you to default tomorrow, because the recovery is like ninety, and I'm buying the bond at forty. Which seems so is going to be hard for people to wrap their head around. <laughs> like, I mean, I mean, come on, like, I, 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 even, even I can't 
wrap my head around it. So Ralph asking, what about credit risk? The, the 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 real the real the real risk for the market at the moment and the real risk for I think the global economy is we get central banks that are so focused on snuffing out inflation that they cause a proper default cycle. Um, I, I I can't see it because I think the pain for that real creative, you know, disruption cycle, the, 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 the pain given how much debt we have globally is just too big. I, I just think it's too large for the politicians or the central banks to take. So I think before we get there, um, and actually in, in, our, in, in our capital allocation meeting today, um, that we had. That's one of the things that that I was saying. That look, you know, yeah, we might get two, three hundred basis points of spread widening in credit, but you're kind of being compensated for it. And that's, I think, if we get there, the central banks are forced to come in and cut rates. Right. Is this? Uh, is this? investment in bonds and the carry you get for it, is this something that an average investor should be looking at, say an individual investor, or is this more for the sophisticated group? Because we've got a wide range that watch this show. Right. So hopefully you'll give your usual caveat about- uh, Yes, this is, this is John's <laughs> research only. This is not investment advice. Only know you know can know your risk profile. Do not just go out and do something because someone else says it. We teach you I, that in the academy. I, honestly, honestly, when I look at credit and fixed income here, um, I, I mean, I, I'm the last person ever to talk my book, right? Mm -hmm. I, I literally will will tell, I will call a spade a spade. Um, but when I look at credit and fixed income here versus equities, I'm like, this is the opportunity of a lifetime to invest in Bond quality. Like so you're talking bond, about investment grade. Bond, bond, bond like, it, it, yeah, investment grade. You don't even have to go down to AT1s or Cocos or all, you know, sort of the higher beta sectors. You know, you can invest in investment grade with equity like forward looking returns for bond like risk. And, it, you know, do you know what? If a lot of these guys default, who cares? You're going to, you, you are, you're actually going to make quite a lot of money. Is that because bondholders are made bonds are made hold, equity gets wiped out? Yeah, yeah. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. In a in a in a kind of default or bankruptcy, there's a pecking order, which is why you have to be really careful if yeah. you're on the equity side of things, yes. because you'll hear people say that all the time. Equity will get wiped out. Um, we heard that um from from guests earlier to, across the board, especially yeah, yeah. talking about yeah. commercial so, real estate. So, so 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 for me at the moment, you're getting equity like forward looking returns for bond like risk. Um, I, you are getting a lot less risk for the potential of immense convexity on the upside. If we if we do go into a rate cutting cycle, um, you know a lot of these bonds have double digit plus returns. 
what would change your outlook? What would cause you to pause and say, oh, okay, hang on a second. The opportunity of a lifetime is swinging around here. Watch out. Yeah. A, defo- a, 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 a central bank or um, a political cycle where they suddenly decided that they wanted the creative disruption. Mm. They, they wanted the zombies to go out of business. The, they had an appetite for um, taking down a lot of the companies that probably should have been taken down three, four, five, six years ago. Mm. Um, I, I, I don't see it but that would be the one thing that would change my outlook, um, particularly on fixed income, that if there was that appetite to take down the zombies, then, you know, and, and have actually a proper credit cycle, uh, that would then change my view. I just don't see it with the debt loads. Yeah. Yeah, because it's not the only thing they're looking at. It's not like they have freedom to do that without repercussions on the other side. Um, when we're talking about this too, yep. we've got a global. So some of our viewers have been commenting: Swiss raised bank, Norway raised bank. I mentioned Turkey just did a complete U-turn and doubled its interest rates. When you're looking at this bond opportunity you're talking about, is it is it U.S., U.K., Europe, developed markets? How, how should we kind of frame that in terms of the world? I'm I, I'm kind of less constructive a little bit on EM because I, I'm just a bit I, I'm not quite sure where the Fed goes and where the Fed goes EM goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but out, outside EM, um, I think you know U.S. credit, um, particularly we've got a focus on um, European investment grade. And particularly lower cash price uh, credit bonds, where we think there's ginormous amounts of convexity on the upside. Mm-hmm. Um, we're a bit more skeptical. Um, and again, we've had a bit of a backwards and forwards with with our financials analysts about the opportunity set in things like AT ones and and, and Cocos, um, but. Uh, you know, at the moment we're being a little bit more cautious on the on the financial sector. I mean, I, I invested mm-hmm. through 2008. I, I saw what happened with Tier One, um, and it's kind of my view on that sector at the moment. Even though I think ultimately a lot of these bonds are gonna be fine. Um, you, you you have you have this. You have this thing that in 2008, you know, governments and central banks created AT1s and COCOs to ensure that they didn't have to ever ring fence and recapitalize banking banks ever again, right? So tier ones didn't serve their purpose in 2007, eight. AT1s and COCOs were created to ensure that they did. Credit Swiss happened. Everybody's talking about sort of the language, the Swiss language and and, and, and all this. Um, I think it's less about the language and more about what were these securities created to actually do. Mm. Honestly, I think governments, if it comes down to it, 
if the shape of the yield curve and the the whole you know sort of profitability of that sector comes under question or you know starts to be under pressure they will find some way to enforce the loss absorbing capacity of AT1s and cocos. Yeah. So that's a little in the weeds for those of you that might not fi- fi- follow financials, but those of you who do will understand that. And this is all the long shadow of the great financial crisis, but these are like the systemically important banks. So they're going to find a way to make sure that they're that they're made whole because they're so important to the system. We're out of time. We're actually a little over time, but just want to ask you one thing, Christopher, um, who, if I had the capacity, I'd pull him up and have him participate because um, he's got a lot of good thoughts on this. But just a couple of people wondering, what is there a timing issue to that? Is there a risk of it being too early, even if you're right? Um, because there's a lot of questions about do equities have some room to run here? And do you worry about that, John? There's, there's I mean, t- t- timing is everything. Like, I, I, And the hardest thing. <laughs> everything mean, in the hardest who, thing. Who, who, said, who said it being, be, be, being early is as bad as being wrong, right? <laughs> like, um, yeah, of course, there's an issue with that. I just see, so for instance, your break-even being long fixed income at the moment is as good as it literally as good as it has been in 23 years. Um, equities, I would, I would swerve for, for the time being. Um, but yeah, you know, t- t- timing is obviously a, a, a ginormous issue. Yeah. Um, you it, 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 and it depends as an investor on what your timeline is as well, right? I mean, yeah. it's very important. Exactly. <laughs> That's everything. That's the other thing. That, so, you know. so if you're if you're a long term investor and you don't care, you're not marked to market daily. You 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 have the you have that capacity just to be able to sit there, right? If you're marked to market daily, you don't necessarily have that yeah. capacity. Right. So it depends on your timeline. Yeah. And that's what's made this so tricky, such a tricky macro environment. Um, uh, John, great, great conversation. We we haven't focused or talked enough about the UK and then the Bank of England came out with that today. So wonderful to have you on and break that down and and also, you know, put it on our radar because this is something we're going to have to watch because it could be a sort of foreshadowing for a lot of what's coming elsewhere. Um, and not to mention to get a peek into credit because it's something we also don't talk yeah. enough about and, in depth. And, and like I say, I, I honestly do think the UK is that canary that you should watch because I think where the UK goes, the global economy will go. Fantastic. John, it was great to see you. Thanks so much. This is so fun. You'll come back again, I hope. Thank you for having me and I'd love to come back. Fantastic. And thanks to all of you. Great, great conversation on the platform. In the meantime, take care and good luck out there, everyone. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.